Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This week, I'm actually broadcasting from my hometown of Los Angeles. After bringing you my 100th show from Mumbai a couple of weeks ago, and next week I'll be broadcasting the show from Dubai, where I have a major speech presentation, and uh, I just looked it up, and I will be delivering it at 4 a.m. So while you're listening in comfort, I will be trying to prop my eyes open and drinking copious quantities of coffee. Now, the other night I went to a preview of a wonderful an engaging and challenging documentary called Network, which focuses on the building of the first television network in Afghanistan. And I'm really pleased to have the Academy Award-winning director of the movie on the show in about 15 or so minutes. The lady is fantastic and she's very ballsy, skinny, reasonably tall and ran around Afghanistan with a camera rather than a flak jacket and submachine guns like everybody else had. She nearly got killed three times, was involved in firefights and and, uh, all sorts of stuff. Great story. We had good feedback this week from listeners who were surprised by a couple of the statistics that I gave you last week. Probably the biggest surprise to most people was the fact that the number of people who use Facebook between 8pm and 11pm is nearly triple the number of people that watch both cable and network television combined. Also, the fact that the record-breaking audience of 10.3 million people for Breaking Bad is absolutely dwarfed by the number of people who have watched Nice Pete on YouTube, reaching up to 78 million (laughs) viewers, eight times the audience of uh, Breaking Bad. Everybody's heard of Breaking Bad. And I'm not sure who's heard of, heard of um, Nice Pete, but obviously 78 million people have. Now, you're listening to the show that's totally designed for entrepreneurs. We champion entrepreneurs and startups and early stage, all small businesses, all people who have got enough balls to get off their ass and go out and start their own business. And we're heard all around the world at the same time every week. Two years ago... Almost to the day, we lost one of the great entrepreneurs of all time. It was the day that Steve Jobs passed away. I thought it was appropriate that we mention some of the memorable statements that the great Steve Jobs made during his lifetime. Like the advertisements for Apple, he didn't say much, but what he did say was very powerful. The first of these was about good design. Steve said, One of my mantras is focus and simplicity. Simple can be much harder than complex. You have to work very hard to get your thinking clean and make it simple. But it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. And I thought about that. You know, we take it for granted now just how complex The iPhone was when it came out. It replaced 14 other tools in one simple and beautiful phone 
that changed the world. Now, that's simplicity personified, in my opinion. Jobs also said, it's really hard to design products by focus groups. A lot of times, people don't know what they want until you show it to them. Well, I've never been a great believer in focus groups yet. You know, I know a hell of a lot of companies who design their development programs around focus groups. And the greatest users and abusers of focus groups have to be the Republican Democratic parties in the US. And that's to the detriment of every one of us. When Jobs was trying to lure, I love this one. This is a classic. When Jobs was trying to lure John Scully from Pepsi across to Apple as its CEO, Jobs said to him, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water or would you like a chance to change the world? (laughs) What a killer line that is. How would you say no to that? No, I think I'll stick here making sugar water. (laughs) God. One of his funniest lines, although probably not that funny, (laughs) is when he said, I'm the only person that I know that lost a quarter of a billion dollars in one year. It's very character building. (laughs) God, straight. A Steve Job quotes that applies to every person in business if you want to be successful goes as follows. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to absolutely love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Do not settle. You know, I meet so many people who are really not happy with what they're doing but don't have a plan or enough guts to change the direction. It's much more comfortable to be in a predictable situation and miserable than it is to change. I really don't get that, but some people do it. And the reality is you simply have to change. You have to bite the bullet and go for it. And you sometimes you're going to lose. You know, I've done it lots of times. I've lost lots of times. I've won a few. Lost more than I've won, but overall, it's been okay. Of course, Steve Jobs was famous for the commencement address he gave not long before he passed away. And if you haven't seen the whole commencement address, it is fantastic. Steve said, no one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is a destination that we all share. No one's ever escaped it, and that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you, but someday, not too long from now, you'll gradually become the old, and you too will be cleared away. Sorry to be dramatic, but it's true. That really is true. I think that's a wonderful expression. And uh, it's a reinforcement to every one of us that you've got to seize the moment. Do it now. Don't procrastinate. Life is short. and Every day the window's closing. And, you know, the worst part about life is you never know when the end is. 
You know, you could be 25 and the end could come or you could be 125 and the end could come. So you don't have time not to make the most of every second. So get off your big fat ass and go for the brass ring because that's where the enjoyment is, it's where the pleasure is, it's where the success is, and it's cool. Now, Steve Jobs, Apple misses you badly. The world misses you badly. Okay, what do Twitter and Apple and Facebook have in common? And let me warn you, it's really disappointing. Let's begin with Twitter. Twitter has no female investors, no women on its board, and only one woman on its top executive team. And she's been there only a month, and the company's been going now for seven years. Facebook didn't appoint its first female board member until a month after it went public, and Facebook's been in business for 10 years. And Apple's infamous for having a leadership team that is con entirely consists of older white men. And while Google has a male management and executive, at least three of the ten board members are women. And, of course, Yahoo has Marissa Mayer as president and CEO. And she's a bloody good one, too. What is with this? The so-called younger generation is supposed to be enlightened and gender neutral. Technology companies should be setting the example. Of all the countries in the world, the United States has more intelligent, ballsy, innovative women than anywhere else. Now, we expect Silicon Valley to be setting an example. We expect them to be concerned about the environment. We expect them to treat their staff well. We expect them to provide health care. And we certainly expect them to appoint a hell of a lot more women to their boards and their management positions. Silicon Valley is the absolute bastion of male chauvinism. Or is it male insecurity? But whichever way it is, it's got to stop. It's time to look in the mirror and change yourself. As yet, <laughs> I love doing that. I love abusing people. As yet another sign as to the power of social media, Nielsen's now measuring the audience of TV-related tweets during programs. Now, this is a realisation that the number of people exposed to, impressed by, and no doubt influenced by a program through tweets, can be much greater than those actually tweeting. In the case of The Voice, for example, the people being exposed to tweets is 50 times greater than those tweeting. So 50 times more people are exposed to tweets than those who are actually tweeting. So Twitter's become the equivalent of the water cooler, with viewers discussing in real time the events that are happening on television. 19 million people in the US produced 263 million tweets while watching television last quarter. 19 million people, 263 million tweets in one quarter. That's a billion tweets in a year while watching television. So that just shows you that 
television's no longer a live, linear, sit back on the couch, feet up, having a beer and passively watch it. That is gone. And, of course, where there's viewers, advertisers and programs are not far behind, and now they're realising the potential commercial value of this massive new audience. Some television shows now interact with Twitter as each episode airs, and uh, advertisers have designed campaigns that pair TV and Twitter. A Wheat Thins giveaway that was mentioned in Twitter's regulatory filing, it generated more than 242,000 tweets mentioning the brand. Wow, that is powerful. And just when you thought that there were advertisements on every single moving and still object on the planet, we're now about to be subjected to even more advertising. Instagram's announced that it's about to introduce advertisements. And, you know, the photo and video sharing network has announced that US users will begin to see, and I quote, a small number of beautiful, high-quality photos and videos from a handful of brands that are already great members of the Instagram community. Wow. Does that sound like a lot of bullshit or what? The first few may be beautiful and high quality, but after that you can guarantee that Instagram will chase the buck like everyone else and start airing the same lousy ads that everyone else does. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, we all realise we're in a very commercial world. But while Instagram in their releases put a lovely shade of lipstick on the pig, it's still a pig. <laughs> Cars.com has announced it will not be advertising in this year's Super Bowl, despite advertising for the last six years. Is this yet another example of the diminishing power of traditional advertising? You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. The whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it for you on air or we'll email you with an answer directly. And you're listening to the number one show in the world on radio for entrepreneurs, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and of course you're listening on Voice America Business. So no matter where you are in the world, we thank you for listening. So this is Bob Pritchard and... I'll be back in just a moment with my guest, Eva Orner, who directed the really terrific new documentary, Network, which is a boots-on-the-ground look at the establishment of a TV network in Afghanistan. That's the first media organisation in the country, the first commercial business in the country, and a business that has given senior positions to a number of unbelievably talented women in a country where women are more like chattels than even second-class citizens. I spent some time with this Academy Award winner the other night, and she is something else. I'm very confident that you'll enjoy this interview, and I'll be back with my mate Eva after this short break. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, this is the segment of the show where we interview people who've achieved great success and people that are making a real difference in the world. This program's all about entrepreneurs and helping you to become a success. Now, I don't think there is a harder industry in which to become successful than the entertainment industry. It is extraordinarily competitive, it's political, and in order to be successful, you have to satisfy a number of stakeholders, and they have to give you wholehearted support. You have to get studios behind you and distributors behind you and people have got to believe in you so that you can get the money and you've got to have hopefully critics and then the ultimate judge which is the populace it is a tough racket and I think if you can be successful in any area of the entertainment business then you'd all almost certainly succeed in any business endeavor no matter what it is now a few nights ago I went to the screening of a movie called Network. Now, I just got back from India, and I didn't do any homework prior to going to the movie, and my only knowledge of the movie was that it was produced by Academy Award winner Eva Orner, who happens to be an Australian. And so that's primarily why I knew her, and she won the award for the best documentary, the Academy Award, (laughs) in 2008, with Taxi to the Dark Side, which, when I saw this movie, it really forced me to question my stance on some of the US military's methods of obtaining information, but it also scared the bejesus out of me. It was an extremely confronting documentary. So I went into this movie without any expectations, and after the movie, while I was having a glass of red wine, I found myself debating the US government's withdrawal from Afghanistan, which until then I had been very strongly advocating. Now, Network is a great documentary, and I urge everyone to go online, find out where you can see it. It's compelling, it's educational, it's enlightening. It poses some critical questions for those of us who have a conflict between 
what we believe is morally right and the realities of what is happening in this world. Now, my guest today is the director of Network, Eva Orner, who's she's tall, she's slim, she looks like the girl next door, but she's actually gutsy and feisty and confident enough to spend many months in the middle of war-torn Afghanistan to direct this documentary. And she didn't have helmets and flak jackets and submachine guns. She had a camera. And to make matters worse from the Afghan perspective, she's very much a woman in a country where women in any profession are endangered species. To sum her up in male parlance, this girl is really ballsy. So let me tell you a little bit about Eva. She's Australian, as I mentioned. She's a film producer and director. She's based in Los Angeles. And apart from her Academy Award for Taxi to the Dark Side, her works include the multi-award winning Untold Desires, Strange Fits of Passion, which was nominated for the Critics Award at Cannes Film Festival, and Gonzo, The Life and Work of Dr. Hunter S. Thompson. She is one highly talented Lady. Hi, Eva. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I'm going to start off with one that you may not like. Okay. <laughs> Before we talk about network, as which I've told you off air, I really, really loved, following the release of Taxi to the Dark Side, and this examined the CIA's use of torture, again, primarily focused on Afghanistan, would it be fair to say that if J. Edward Hoover was, Hoover was still alive, that you would have joined such subversive types as Lenin and Charlie Chaplin, who threatened the very fabric of American society? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I do know at the time that we were making the film, which is a very critical look at the Bush administration's torture policies post 9-11, mm. um, I was I was still on a um, on a work visa and I was travelling a lot and the whole you know phone tapping scandal had just come out and we'd been in Guantanamo and we'd been interviewing ex Guantanamo detainees and we were all very aware that our phones were tapped and whenever I'd travel somewhere I'd say to the crew you know jokingly but with a touch of seriousness if I disappear please do something <laughs> don't let me just disappear so it was kind of this running joke but sure just after we won the Academy Award I applied for um for a green card and I I got it in like record time in like four weeks and so I just figured the Oscar trumped the sort of dark business that we've been looking into. <laughs> yeah. It all worked out fine. <laughs> They've got some political clout those guys though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, do you experience any pushback from people who believe that you shouldn't question America's motives and actions? No, I mean, not terribly. I did something pretty, as you said, ballsy earlier. When After we won the Oscar in the first interview I did that was picked up by the AP, I was quoted as saying uh, the Bush administration are a bunch of war criminals, which I yeah. still firmly believe. And it, it got picked up and just ran everywhere. And so when you Google me, that always comes up. And I've never done anything to take it off because I'm actually really proud of having said it. Mm. But, you know, that, that kind of statement, I think, I, you know, most people in my life support that kind of statement, but there are a couple of, like, nasty things written online about me being a traitor and things like that, and yeah, I held I, my um, head up, you know. <laughs> I, I, share, I share your view. You know, our, our political beliefs, as you know, are 
pretty well aligned. But um, I, uh, I, I I saw that quote, and I wasn't going to bring it up <laughs> in the interview. I was, I was going to let it just sort of go past the keeper. But I find myself at dinner parties and things um, where I will talk about adversely about um, um, rendition and about a whole range of other things, and I find people get really angry. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable subject. I mean, I'm really proud that we made that film because I think it documents forever an incredibly dark period in American history. And, you know, it's not like it's completely gone now. So I feel like, I feel like, I remember somebody wrote a, a review at the time, I think in the New York Times, just saying the film will be as important now, you know, which was 2008, as it will be in 20 years. And I think when we were making it, we were aware that it was very much motivated by the fact of all of this terrible, all of these terrible things were happening and people were talking about it but not as much as we thought it wasn't like Vietnam it was just pretty accepted and we were outraged and we just yeah, thought they were talking about had... it but they weren't horrified were they it's a no they were, yeah I mean it was it was mild and that's what I think shocked us into making the film so much so right. you know that's the great thing about documentaries you can you can actually take a subject and really explore it in a deep way do you would you describe yourself as a political animal um, I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm pretty obsessed with, with all of these, with, with this kind of stuff. And I, I think doing this kind of work really suits me. And, and I think, you know, I, I can disarm people a little bit too, because as, as you said quite kindly, you know, I'm sort of a little, I have a touch of the girliness to me and I don't think people expect that when, when they meet me. And so I tend to disarm them and make people comfortable and then I can get them to talk. And that's always been a little bit of my... Yeah, I, guess, I was. You know, I was the secrets of my success. <laughs> I was looking at this tall but thin, very feminine lady, and watching the documentary and thinking, "Wow, there's this dichotomy here." You know, it's it's quite amazing. Now, your first two documentaries were both yeah. based on sexuality, one way or another. How did you make the leap to two documentaries focused directly and indirectly on Afghanistan? That, that, that's quite a leap. When I moved to New York in 2004, I very quickly was introduced to Alex Gibney, the you know, spectacularly talented and prolific Alex Gibney. And he'd just finished Enron and he was looking for a producer. And so I started working with him and we did a couple of political films together. I mean, he's a total political animal and in a lot of ways, I guess, that's where it was brought out in me a little more and then with this film it was just as simple as I mean I'm attracted to great stories and also you know stories that haven't been told and um, you know I'd read about this television station in Afghanistan and about Saad Massani and his family who started it and I just was haunted by the fact that it was such a great story and that it, the film would likely come out in as the impending withdrawal approaches which is what's happened and I just thought it would be almost subversive and and just so interesting to take an alternate look at the narrative coming out of Afghanistan and and really surprise people and also question people's views. So to me, it's about a good story. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm currently making a film about gay Iraqi refugees coming to America. <laughs> no, right, okay. And it's just, you know, you hear a story and suddenly it, it stays in your mind for a little while and suddenly you're on the phone with people and the next thing you know, you're in Lebanon filming them. And that's just <laughs> kind of the way it works. And people always ask me, how do I find topics? And, you know, when I worked with Alex, a lot of people bring things to him and he's just so prolific. 
And now that I'm out of my own and I've just started directing as well, I'm just, you know, as you say, I'm a news junkie. You know, I wake up in the morning, I read everything. I'm pretty obsessed with, with what's happening in the world and I'm always looking for stories. And every article that you read, every news story you see is a potential film. Uh, and it's really just what you decide you want. It's a couple of things. It's what you think. I, I look at it as, is it a good story? Does it have legs? Is there stuff in the story that hasn't been told, and also can I finance it? Because you always have to look at things commercially, and yeah, that's I'm, right. not, I'm not sort of independently wealthy where I can finance my own films, so I have to really think about who's going to finance a I'm film, sh- which is never easy or never guaranteed. Yeah, I'm sure you're building a nice cadre of people who, um, who want to, f- to fund these sorts of films. Now, Network follows the launch of Afghanistan's first and highly successful from what I saw in the movie, independent television network, Tolo TV. And it's grown from a handful of just really dedicated people to an organisation that employs, I'm not sure how many, but I've seen a number of numbers, but well in excess of a 1,000 people. Mm. Um, And very importantly, the film highlights the critical role of quite a number of very talented women. How did the opportunity come about? Was the focus on, it does have a focus on women. It, was that deliberate? Were you, were you looking at the, the um, plight of women in Afghanistan or were you looking at growth of an independent media company? I was looking at a couple of things. You know, I wanted to tell the story of this remarkably successful television station because there haven't been a lot of as successful businesses in Afghanistan. I also wanted to look at the power of media to implement social change in a country. And I think Afghanistan's probably the only country in the world where 12 years ago there was absolutely no media. And so it's this great case study of 12 years and what can be achieved and also the impact it can have on the country, which has been massive. And then I was always aware that I wanted to find some extraordinary women because, again, 12 years ago, women you know, under the Taliban until 2001 when we invaded, women couldn't leave the house without a man. They were, they couldn't have access to education. They had to wear burqas. Yeah. I mean, life was pretty terrible for them. And it's still not great in a lot of the country, obviously. It's, it's, you know, as is security. But mm. one of the big success stories is, you know, there's over 2 million women that go to school now in the country. Yes. Um, it, at Tolo, 20% of the, I think over, just over 800, the, the workforce in, in Kabul now at Tolo, and 20% of them are women, and that's, that's extraordinary, and a lot of them defy fantastic. their families, a lot of their family, them defy their families to actually go to work, and they also, you know, risk threats, and, and, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world for them to do, and also they're working with men who have kind of grown up under the Taliban, who don't necessarily have the best attitudes towards women. So it's been really extraordinary in terms of what their work and, and their bravery has achieved and how it's changed the country. And so I find the section on the women is really, really touching and extraordinary. And they're just the bravest people I've ever met. They're just they're really incredible women. Yeah, it was, um, that was an interesting statement of yours. Men who don't have necessarily... I can't remember exactly what you said, but a favourable view of women. Their view of women absolutely sucks. <laughs> it <laughs> Some is of them are amazing, though. I mean, what's extraordinary minimal. is, and you, you see that in the film, you know, the attitudes of women have changed, uh, the attitudes of men towards women have changed. And one of the things in the film that shows that is, you know, they brought in some expats from around the world to sort of yes. teach 
the young Afghans how to make television, and some of them were women, and they were great role models to the young men, showing them that women can be smart and can be leaders, and based on the, women, the female expats' jobs and what that achieved, the Afghan women were able to follow in their footsteps, and now you have at Tolo, you know, women running, you have women directors and editors, and like the woman who was running production management when I was there was a woman, and, and that's amazing, and you also have a lot of actresses who are women, and and they get harassed a lot. You know, the men don't get harassed, the women do, but they're doing it anyway and they fiercely believe in it and they're very proud of, of their achievements and I really wanted to highlight that. I think, I think it's fantastic. I think that they, they'll save money um, now that Murdoch's involved with Tolo TV. They'll save money because they'll stop fact-checking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, since, since, I made the, yeah, since I made the film, News Corp have bought into the company because I guess they see it as a profitable, a profitable business. Yeah. But they're not involved terribly in the day-to-day editorial no, that, or anything like that. This is good. So, All the world needs yeah. is another fox. Um, it's, I mean, it, no, it's still very much run by the Massani family who are Afghans who grew up in Australia because they were exiled uh, yes. during, the, during the Russian invasion, yeah. In, in many ways, it's a documentary about change and hope, yet on the other hand, I must admit when I walked out, I felt um, that it painted a very dire picture of the future of um, Afghanistan, particularly if the um, US troops totally with, withdraw. So do you feel optimistic or pessimistic, firstly, about the future of Tolo, and secondly, about the future of Afghanistan? And it kind of depends on the day. <laughs> I think it's interesting you say that too because a lot of people walk out of the film feeling really optimistic and some people walk out feeling pessimistic. And the end of the film is really just a bunch of the characters you've grown to know and love through the film yeah. summing up their feelings about the future. And they're very mixed. You know, a lot of the people are hopeful and they talk about how it's really up to the youth of the country to determine the future of the country. And, you know, the median age in Afghanistan is 17. It's, it's, yes. I, it's, I think 60 or 70% of the country are under, like, 24. It's extraordinary yeah. that it's this young country, and it's really up to that post-Taliban, social media-connected generation to, to not take things like, you know, potentially failed elections or the resurgence of the Taliban or other fundamental radicals. So... I, I think overall, you know, I don't think it's going to go back. I don't think the country's going to go back to, you know, revert to sort of the days of the Taliban. I think there's an election coming up in April, which yes, will really determine a lot, depending on how democratic and successful the election is. And also, I mean, there was a big story yesterday written by my buddy Matt Rosenberg in the New York Times about Obama and the Afghan government trying to work out what the U.S. position is in terms of withdrawal. And if there's a complete withdrawal, I think that will have really dire effects on the future of the country. And I think after 12 years of being very committed to the country, you can't just pull out. And we've seen how badly that worked in Iraq. And I think we owe the Afghans you know, a debt of a promise and I think it's not a lot to ask for, you know, retaining 10 or 20% of troops and, and a, you know, a certain amount of foreign aid for the next 10 years to really give it, the country a chance now that it's found its feet. Because yeah, it's really, you know, it's, it's really changed. I mean, 95% of people in Afghanistan have cell phones. I think 6 to 7 out of 10 people regularly watch television. I think it's something like 95% of people have, you know, listen to radio regularly. And there was none of that 10 years, 12 years ago, like nothing. Yeah. And so if they've achieved that in, in 10 years, I mean, the statistics for things like the increase in, um, 
in the literacy rate over the next 10 to 20 years are just, you know, up 100%. I mean, they're going to quadruple. And it's a country now with 30% literacy rate, so it just needs more time. And I think, I think, I think it would be prudent for us to, to stick around. But, you know, that's not a popular view at the minute, and that's partly no, the power of this film because it shows an alternate narrative to Afghanistan. It shows young, educated you know, clean, English-speaking young Afghans yeah. who just want a chance after 30 years of war. I, I, I must admit, I, I thought that the internet, um, social media, would make a big difference. Um, the Arab Spring was all came about because of social media. But yeah. that didn't work out so well. Um, and uh, no. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not as confident as I was some time ago. Um, what would you like the legacy of network to be? Gosh, I think, boy, I think what I'd like, you know, I think films like, without sounding, you know, over, overly worthy, but I, I think what when I make a film like this, I want to start a debate, I want to start a dialogue, and I feel like, you know, you came out of the film and had said to me, it changed the way you felt about the country and it really conflicted your your views on whether or not we should withdraw. And I feel like for now... If the film is widely seen, that's what it will it will do. It will inform people of this alternate narrative that's not being presented, you know, in the news. Really, all we see are stories about the military, and this is a story about the people yeah. and about the extraordinary changes that have been made in ten years. So, to me, with documentary, if you can just change one person's attitude or get some people talking about something in a different way, that's that to me is a, is a, is a lot. And I guess long term, you know, I hope it's. I would love it to be this time capsule where in 10 years people look back and think, gosh, you know, look how much the country's grown. And I really hope it's not a time capsule of this window that was a remarkable opportunity in Afghanistan that was squandered. Yeah. <laughs> so it we, could go either way, but I'm optimistic today. <laughs> yeah, we, we've spoken uh, before about, um, you know, I did a 10-city speaking tour of Iran and uh, I found that the country that's depicted on the news here in the United States and throughout most of the West is totally different and in no way related to what I experienced over that period going from city to city to city and mixing with all sorts of people. I just found I, I, couldn't, I couldn't relate the two. It's just um, for some reason we want to show all the bad stuff and none of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obvious from the film that you may you've got enormous admiration and you've got terrific friendships, obviously, with the people you work with at Tolo. Do you still keep in touch with him? And has their situation actually improved since you left? <laughs> I'm not making connection between the two. And um, or has it gone backwards over the last? It's pretty. Similar from, you know, I, I just was, you know, Shafi, who's the, uh, the very handsome Afghan who opens the film, the journalist, yes. he's in BC, and I caught up with him last week at a screening of the film, and he goes back regularly, and he's incredibly optimistic, and I, from talking to him and my journalist friends there, it seems like it's pretty much the same, you know, security in Kabul is up and down, and, you know, the rest of the country depends on where you are, but it doesn't seem to have changed terribly much, um, mm. I think everything's going to really hinge on the April election. I think that's what everyone's 
focused on. One of the great stories that's happened since I was there is um, a, a national soccer, you know, football league yeah. was set up in the country, yeah. and it was insanely popular. And I think part of what's lovely about Tolo is it's created heroes and, and people that young people can look up to and aspire to, whether it be news journalists or actors sure. or you know, presenters. And the, the, the sports league, I mean, we all know the power of sport. The sports league completely transport, transported the country into this fervor. And, and, and I think that's a really lovely story that's happened since I was there, and I wish I'd been around to cover it. Yeah, but, it's a good story. But it seems pretty similar. Uh, what was the other the first question that you asked? <laughs> um, has it deteriorated or, or improved? Um, yeah. yeah. At one point in time, not that long ago, only 20-odd years, you were an unknown student at University in Melbourne, Australia, completing a Bachelor of Arts. I'm sure that seems like a million years away now. Now you're one of the most recognised and celebrated documentary producers and directors in the world, and that alone is an incredible achievement. It's extraordinary. Now, for all those budding writers and producers and directors that might be listening to this show... What are the characteristics that have led to your extraordinary success? Now, don't say luck, because I'm one of those people who don't believe in luck. If you are lucky, it's because you made the luck. So what is it about you that other people can emulate that will help them become more successful? I mean, I'm going to use the words that other people have used because I don't want to sound arrogant, but I just think tenacious. I think you, if you believe in something, you can't give up. You know, right. you just have to keep trying. And, you know, when I arrived in New York uh, about nine years ago, I'd come off, it was a very odd situation that I'd come to New York and I'd bro- had a terrible breakup with an American man in another part of the country. And I wasn't expecting to be there and I really spent three months sending out, you know, hundreds of resumes and knocking on doors and just meeting as many people as I can and that led to the fortuitous meeting of Alex Gibney, mm. um, who is one of the most recognized filmmakers in the world. I am not. <laughs> but um hopefully one day I will be. <laughs> but I think I think that's part of it. And the other thing that I find really interesting is so often you meet people who say they want to be doing what you're doing. And if you want to, I always say to people, if you want to be a writer, write. If you want to be a filmmaker, make films. And it's very different from 20 years ago when I was coming up because equipment wasn't as cheap as it is now or accessible. You couldn't, you know, edit a film on your laptop. And I'm not saying that that's made films better. What it's done is make more people able to make films. More accessible, yeah. Yeah, there's still only a small amount of films that are going to get eyes on them. But the point is, is that if you want to do something, do it. You know, young writers in L.A., you find, have written 20 spec scripts for TV shows and, and eight feature scripts by the time they're 25. And that's how they get some traction. So I feel like if you want to do something, you, you just have to do it, uh, not talk about it. And it's like everything else. I will say, though, I'm not a great believer in luck, but I do think in the film industry, it's one of the rare industries where you actually can be brilliant, make a fantastic film, and have bad luck. And an example of that is, you know, say you have an opening weekend and, and something calamitous happens the weekend the film opens, sure. it kind of dies. Yeah, so you, sure. you can actually have some bad luck. And also you're relying on critics to promote your film. And if they don't like it for some reason, you can kind of get screwed. So I definitely do think that you can be very successful in the film industry and still have bad luck. And not that that's a, a cop-out, but I just I do think there, there sadly is an element of luck in this business, which I don't think a lot of us like unless it's... Unless good luck falls on us. Eva Orner, one incredibly creative, talented, 
and bloody gutsy lady, and uh, I'm looking forward to a walking out to pick up that next Academy Award. Now, thanks very much for being on the program. It's been great talking with you. Um, now, for everybody listening, I urge you to go online, find out where Network is playing, and make sure you get along to see it. Apart from can, I, can I just give it a sure. plug and say that it's, it's, it's out in cinemas in New York and L.A. currently and on the 8th this Tuesday, the 8th of October, it's going out on VOD. So iTunes, On Demand, all the usual suspects. So please grab a copy and, and learn something new about Afghanistan. <laughs> Great. I was about to say, apart from being a great documentary, I'm, I'm confident that it'll challenge the way you think about a number of issues. Network is that good a documentary. This is Bob Pritchard, and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on VoiceAmericaBusiness.com, and I'll be back with you in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Bob Pritchard, straight talking. Absolutely no bullshit. Tell it the way it is. Business radio show from Los Angeles. Don't forget that next week's show is being broadcast from Dubai at 4 a.m. in the morning where I will be giving speech presentations in the Emirates. I'm looking forward to it. Dubai is a great place and you should prove on your bucket list if it's not there. Um, a number of listeners contacted us about my comments last week concerning the effectiveness of your consumer purchasing benefit. And this can, it can literally differentiate your business and create first recall in a, in a customer's mind. Um, just to reiterate what it is, your consumer purchasing benefit is the three to six word, word emotional statement that clearly defines your primary differential from your competitor. It's what it's something that sticks in your customer's head that says why we're different than everybody else who does what you do. Now, this could be an advantage that you have or it may just highlight a weakness that your competitor has. For example, uh, Visa's CPB 
anywhere you want to be. It's designed to suggest that you cannot use your American Express card everywhere. You can use Visa everywhere, and by inference, they're suggesting that you can't use American Express everywhere, and I think that's extremely effective. Next week on my show from Dubai, in Dubai, I'm speaking to a retail organisation that has over 1,600 retail outlets, and they've got a a product that is commoditized. And uh, one of the, my roles is to show them how to differentiate themselves clearly and concisely from their competitors, even though they all sell precisely the same thing. And it's a business that's driven pretty much on price. So... Next week, I'll, I'll speak more about how to create your CPB as it really can have a dramatic effect on your business performance. First email today, and maybe by the look of the time, the only email I get through today is from Graham Johnson from New York City who says, Dear Bob, yours is a great show with lots of good advice for people like me who don't have a business or a marketing background. You make it simple so that we can follow it. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Graham. That's very nice of you. I really appreciate that. I uh, quite often get people writing me emails telling me I'm a a, uh, moron and don't know what I'm talking about, but that's lovely to hear good things. Graham goes on to say, I was surprised to hear you say on a radio interview the other day that the four things today that are not important are the product, the price, satisfied customers, and brand awareness. I was of the impression that they are the only things that are important. Did I mishear you? If that is what you said, could you please explain what you mean? Graham, I did say that. I've been saying it now for 15 years. More and more people are starting to believe me. Um, When I first started saying it 15 years ago, people thought I had lost it. But it's really obvious, it's really simple. And thanks for listening to the show, incidentally. And you did hear me right. Let me explain why I believe that none of these four elements that are regarded as the pillars of marketing are important anymore. Firstly, let's take product. Very few companies are selling a product that's different than what their competitors are selling. I'll bet you that no matter what you do, there's somebody else that's in direct competition selling something that will do exactly the same job. Might not be exactly the same product, might not be exactly the same service, but it will do what your product or service does. And now, if you do have a product that's different and it takes off and it does really, really well, then how long do you reckon it's going to be before a competitor goes and copies it? It's going to be five minutes. If you're doing something great, they're going to do something great. They're just going to copy it. And, you know, patents aren't going to stop you. Stop If you've got patents, they're not going to stop them. The only way to be successful in today's highly competitive and connected global marketplace is to differentiate yourself really clearly 
and pay off with from your competitor. Otherwise, you're a me too. And, you know, people say, if I don't buy that, I'll buy that. It doesn't make any bloody difference. They're both the same. You know, you can't differentiate yourself from your competitor if you're promoting the same product or the same benefits as they are. Over 90% of consumers see like products as being totally interchangeable. They don't care whether they buy a Duracell battery or an EverReady battery. They see them as being totally interchangeable. Now, I'm sure one has benefits over the other. I'm sure they're not identical. But people see them as being the same. So the overwhelming majority of product and service categories have been commoditized totally. It's totally about sales on price. So promoting your product's not the answer. You can't win promoting your product. The second element is price. Now, for some peculiar reason, almost everybody that sells a product reckons that the only thing that their customers are interested in is price. Get told over and over and over again, all my customers are interested in this price and if I drop my price a little bit, I get business and if if the competitor drops their price a bit, they pick up the business. I mean, what a bunch of cods wallop that is. If you sell based on price, people will buy based on price. If it's true that everybody was based on price, that bought based on price, everybody in America would be driving a Nissan Versa. Retails for about 12 grand. I think it's about the cheapest car on the road. It's a perfectly okay car. Seats five people, nothing wrong with it. However, if you go out into the street, you hardly ever see one. People are driving BMWs, Mercedes and Audis and a whole range of other cars that are double the price, triple the price, or even, you know, more than that. So when people go to the store, they buy brands. Despite knowing that the no-name products are equivalent to the branded ones. So instead of buying genetic cornflake, generic cornflakes for two bucks, they buy Kellogg's for four fifty, and they're the same. There's no difference. In fact, in most cases, it's the brands that make the generics. So there's something other than price at play. In fact. Research shows that only about 13% of people in America buy based on price, 87% don't, if they're not sold based on price. So getting a sale isn't about price. You know, I've spoken to um, apparel manufacturers who say, you know, clothing business is all about price. Rubbish. How many of you sitting out there are wearing the cheapest clothes you can buy? How many of you race out to Target every week and try and find something that's really, really cheap? You know, you buy something that makes you look good. And that's very seldom the cheapest item. So, price, rubbish. 
The third point I'd like to make is about satisfied customers. People say, oh, yeah, satisfied customers, really important. 62% of all customers who say they're totally satisfied with a purchase never repurchase from the same source. They just don't. The reason for that, you know, if I go and buy something, no matter what it is, I'm entitled to get good service. That's what I'm paying for. So if you give me good service, which is what I'm paying for, and what I expect, why the hell do I go back to you just to get what I expected? Today, you'll only be buy repeatedly from someone if they knock your socks off, if they give you extra value, if they give you a training program, if they offer you a monthly newsletter with tips, if they do a whole range of things, but if they give you more than just smile sweetly and pack your product perfectly and have you walk out of the store. Customer service today has to be absolutely bloody awesome. The customer has to feel that you care about them. Now, research from the Rockefeller Institute shows that 68% of customers stop doing business with you because they think that you don't believe they're important. So if you market your business based on product, price, brand awareness, or satisfied customers, you'll go broke. The fourth, you know, brand awareness. Saab, 100% awareness. Kodak, 100% awareness. Both broke. Just because people know who you are doesn't mean they're going to buy anything off you. Graham, I hope that explains what I mean and why you need to look a lot deeper into what it is that will motivate people to buy your product and what will motivate them to continue to buy from you. Tomorrow we'll send you an autographed copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets. It's my latest hardcover and audio book, and I hope that you enjoy it. Next week I'll be speaking to Doug Lip, who at 29 years old was the head of the training team at the world-famous Disney University at Disney's corporate headquarters. He's a great speaker, and in a couple of weeks I'm actually speaking against him in Bahrain, which is in the Middle East between Dubai and Saudi, for those who don't know. Send your questions, email me at Bob at Bob Pritchard, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and make contact with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at exactly the same time. And I'll be here next week from Dubai. And I hope you have a fantastic and successful week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.